it's incredible what is possible when we're living outside of the confines of capitalism. It allows the space of genuine connection and creating a community that we can't create when we have so much pressure and stress on us from our daily lives. You're listening to This Life Explains It All. With the creators of Vera, your guide for navigating a conscious life. We're Stefania Romeo and Catherine Griffiths. This Life Explains It All was created out of belief that our life experience is our greatest teacher. And as soul sisters and intuitives, we've spent the past decade completely obsessed with better understanding our minds and our bodies, all while running a mile a minute with busy careers as leaders in the tech startup world. On this podcast, we are bringing you the insights and lessons that have changed our lives with the thought leaders, healers, and dreamers behind them. We're discussing wellness practices, healing methods, and experiences that get us to think differently about life and live empowered. Whether you want to uplevel your health, your career, your relationship, or are going through changes to your life path, this information can help you get there and let you know that we're right here with you. We believe life isn't meant to be lived linear, and no matter where you are right now, you're right on time. We're talking to clinical herbalist, Bonnie Rose Weaver. She's a practitioner based in San Francisco who also cultivates medicinal plants, makes herbal medicine, and is the author of Deeply Rooted Medicinal Plant Cultivation in Tectropolis. This conversation is really timely as we touch on the coronavirus. We talk about it in the context of protecting ourselves against the virus and preparing for things like isolation and working from home and supporting ourselves and our communities during this time of the coronavirus outbreak. Yeah, this is certainly something that I've never navigated anything like this before. No, we haven't. It's kind of just expanded and became such a big thing out of nowhere. Yeah. Like I remember one of my friends was talking about how his flight was canceled to China because of the coronavirus. And I didn't even know what that was. And I was thinking, oh, wow, that's really unfortunate for people living there. And I didn't even think that this could be something that's now spread to every single country globally. Yeah. I think that it's interesting because at first I feel like in terms of, I guess, my experience of the collective consciousness, it feels like we've kind of transitioned a little bit from worrying about the virus itself to now dealing with this idea of potentially being pretty isolated for a while. And I think people in this past week have been having a hard time with being home so much, working from home, seeing groups of people and community less as we do more social distancing. So that's definitely the piece for me that has been the most challenging. Really just in the past couple of days, I've started to work from home and um, not go into my co-working space. That's basically, that's what's happening all across San Francisco. You know, everyone's working from home and it can feel isolating to be by yourself all day, even if you are interacting with people. And I thought it was great that in this conversation with Bonnie, she talks so much about the importance of human connection and how we've dealt with things like this throughout history as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are very new things that we're going to be facing because even if you work from home as your normal job, you're still going out and interacting with people in a different way. Maybe you're even just going to get a coffee or going to get food, you know, whatever it is, and you're you're still interacting with people. So I think that it'll be a really different experience for, for many of us. Yeah. We've been thinking about Italy a lot. I mean, for me specifically, I have a lot of family who live there now. We both have friends there and the way that this has unfolded in such a big way has for me felt like such a surprise. And, you know, I'm just fascinated by what's going on. And also because according to a lot of what is being speculated by experts, 
is that, you know, it's likely that we could experience something like what Italy is experiencing right now because we maybe got started with quarantine and isolation a little bit late. So we're recording this on Saturday, March 14th, and we'll see kind of what happens in the next few days before the the episode comes out. But we connected with our friend Simone, who lives right in the middle of the red zone in Milan right now. We were really curious about how people are feeling with consideration to this isolation and and not being able to be out and about and experiencing each other in community right now. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear his perspective because he's right there in the middle of everything and hear how it personally affects him and his family and what he's seeing in Italy as well. Yeah, it's interesting. And we're going to play a little clip of what he shared with us and talking about what Italians are doing to stay connected. And I think we've all seen some of those viral videos of people singing from the balconies. He talked to us a little bit about what that looks like and and how friends are getting together on Skype to have their aperitivo at seven o'clock because they can't meet each other. It's really interesting. One thing that I don't think we, that's included in the clip that kind of put things into perspective for me a little bit as I'm thinking about how it's so tough for me to be working from home and not having as much social interaction. He said at the end of the conversation, it's hard to be in isolation and it's hard to be home so much, but our grandfathers were asked to go to war. We're just asked to stay home. So we're very lucky. We're lucky even to be having the the issue to contemplate of, of being home and being alone. Yeah, absolutely. And he also says he wants to go see his family, but you know he doesn't want to actually spread anything to them because they're elderly and you know they're at a bit higher risk. So I think that's something to keep in mind too, even though we could probably fight it off very easily. Our parents or grandparents may not be able to. So we'll play this clip. All right, now to Simone, who we are speaking to directly from Milan. The government say, the prime minister say, okay, all the Italy is a, is a red zone. It changed your life a lot because such strict rules. Now I'm unlucky because I live in the residence because I was, I'm working in Milan. So I live in the residence. I decide to don't go in Rome, where is my family, because... They are 60 plus, and uh, if I have something, I don't want to spread the virus with them. A lot of people did, but your life changed a lot because these rules change totally your life. There are so strict rules that you can't go out, you can't do nothing, you can go just to the supermarket, but imagine that you are a family of five person. The rule in Italy is five person, only one person can go to the supermarket. You can't go with your wife in the supermarket, only one person. At 6 p.m., we usually put the Italian national anthem from the Finns and the people, you know, feel more patriotic because when you are in the, sorry, the time, you're in the deeply shit, you remember about your country, you remember about the Finns. So at 6 p.m., you do like that, the pot start to make noise, you know, to, to support the doctor. You know, you make noise, the doctor will hurt, you know, because they are in trouble right now because they cannot stop. They don't have any rest and have nothing. So there is also these things to make some noise to let these people rest. And after we are amazing because I see a lot of video as well. You know, there is some people that make the disc jockey from the balcony. We are trying to make our life, especially in the south of Italy, more than in Milan because the people are more hot. Yes, it's true. We are trying to, it's a small, I guess it's a small uh, ray of sun in in the day. So great to hear from Simone. This is a great through line, I think, to the conversation that we're having with Bonnie. Yeah. And we're talking to Bonnie about what herbs you can take to help with immunity, anxiety, sugar cravings, and focus, and the best ones for what's going on right now with the coronavirus. And if you are home and you don't have access to buy herbs, we also talk about herbs that you can use that are already in your cabinet and how physical symptoms are almost always a reflection of something going on in the mind, why community is so important right now, especially, and how communities have come together in the past when big events like this happen. 
and why sleep is so important, especially again right now, and how to really support a good night's sleep. All right, let's get into it. Can you talk to us about your work, how you approach it, and how you got into it? Absolutely, yeah. And before we get started, or as we get started, I just want to honor and acknowledge that we're on unceded Ohlone land, which was tended for millions of years by the Ramatush Ohlone people. So acknowledging that and the legacy of, of the land and the places that we live, I think is an important part of kind of the deeper social healing that we have to do. Yeah. Thanks for that. That's something that I hadn't had a lot of awareness on and I have been hearing about more lately as I think more people are talking about it. So thank you. Yeah. So when I first started getting into herbalism back in 2010, it's been about 10 years, I was kind of exposed or introduced to what we would call Western herbalism. And that is kind of a funny story, but it's coming from Europe. So that would be my ancestors. My ancestors are from Calabria. In Italy. Mine too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure where, but somewhere in Croatia and then also a couple parts of Ireland. And so Western herbalism really kind of died off and was put to bed a certain sense with the burning of witches and women in in Europe. And a lot of the knowledge was destroyed and also demonized. And so there was a renaissance in the 70s that we kind of attribute to Rosemary Gladstar and some of the other well-known herbalists of the 70s. And so I was exposed to a lot of that kind of like make some tea that, you know, is going to help with a stomach ache and that type of stuff or drink elderberry when you're sick and that kind of stuff. And as I write in my book, Deeply Rooted, that first project I started that I did for myself was taking herbs for asthma. And so that's a pretty like, as far as Western herbalism goes, it's almost like a do this for that type of approach. And it's like, if you have lung issues, take mullein. And if you have immune issues, take echinacea. And it's just very like, you could draw a line Mm -hmm. between the two, or you could categorize it in this way. The deepest way I really started getting into what we call energetics is through working in a garden that wasn't too far from here. It was on 18th and Guerrero, and it was the backyard of an apartment building. And I started working there after working on an urban farm called Little City Gardens that was in the outer mission with my friends, Caitlin and Brooke. But then they had previously worked at the site that then they gave to me. And I worked there for about four years. And I had made a choice at that point in time, I think it was in 2013, where I had applied to go to herb school and I was accepted. But I also had this opportunity to tend this herb garden or grow this herb garden. And decided that it was more important for me to be with the plants and and work with them in that way. And the plants are our greatest teachers. They're our ancestors. And being with plants, sitting with plants, working with plants is one of the kind of most profound things I've ever done in my life. And having those experiences, healing myself with plants from asthma, and then also working with the plants and really just listening to them in the garden, their messages, reminding us to slow down was extremely profound. So I started to develop some of my own understanding of energetic herbalism there. And then I was lucky enough to study with Karen Sanders and Sarah Holmes at the Blue Otter School, which is in Siskiyou County. From the school, you can see Mount Shasta. It's a pretty beautiful place. And that is where I really deepened my understanding of energetics. Karen Sanders is Choctaw, and so she was raised from the age of three by her grandmother to be the medicine carrier for her community. So I got to study with her and Sarah, and Sarah's incredible teacher as far as understanding physiology and body systems and medicine making. I mean, the both of them together are an incredible team. So yeah, I did their full-time program in 2017, which is really what 
allowed me to take the step into clinical herbalism with a focus in energetics. And so when we talk about energetics, some people say like, okay, rosemary is warming, nettles are cooling, and that is a certain form of it. But as far as what I learned with Karen and Sarah, we're looking more at like what's happening in the body, what are the disharmonies actually creating as far as the energy body, and then how do we support a body with herbs and matching what kinds of energetic disharmonies are occurring. And how do you identify what the root cause of something is? So potentially in your case, it would have been asthma, but how do you find that root cause and then match it with an herb? What is that process like? Well, I will say that you kind of just automatically jump to this idea of the root, which I think is great. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, we certainly want to look at root causes. We don't always know what root causes are. You know, as a practitioner, I'm not always going to know every single detail about somebody's life. And I don't need to know. Uh, I think that a lot of the healing that we do, we don't consciously do it. And we don't ever have like a take-home prize of like, oh, I got through my childhood trauma because I took this herb or something. But it's like that usually the roots are from childhood, I Mm. would say, or like a really long lasting deep pattern that somebody develops as a method of coping or, you know, surviving. And the reality is that those mechanisms certainly serve us and allow us to survive. And there's a point at which they expire and they no longer help us. So something that maybe allowed you to get through a really difficult time in childhood maybe becomes a pattern that you use then at work and as an adult or Mm -hmm. with your romantic partner. And your romantic partner ideally isn't treating you the way that somebody may have treated you as a child in this negative way, but you have a similar reaction, right? You think that you're in, you're in that fight or flight and you think that you're in that scenario because that's all we can do in this life is like learn from our, really our experiences. Maybe some of us are lucky and we have elders that teach us, but we all develop patterns. And so a lot of the energetic work is about shifting those patterns and supporting us to create ones that really serve us. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're saying is that like a lot of what then might manifest as the physical is really coming from emotional, deeper rooted experience, like like you talked about. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I always go back to is like the emotional is the physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so in this time right now, we want to talk to you about something that's really timely, the coronavirus outbreak and then fear and all of the different things that are happening around understanding what's going on and the changes that people are making in their day-to-day or worrying about in light of it. One of the things that we'd love to talk to you about is your work herbalism as it relates to immunity and kind of protecting ourselves. First of all, from your perspective, like, is that a way that makes sense to look at it? And then what are your thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. I think that herbs play an incredible role right now. And it's interesting. I think where we're at, we don't really know the full ramifications of Mm -hmm. COVID-19. We don't know the social and the emotional and the physical for the society or for the individual. But I think what it is doing in a certain sense is shining a light on something that we've needed to shine a light on for a long time, which is what are the role of plants in uh, everybody's health? How do people get access to that? How do we provide education for folks so that they know what to do and when to do? I've had countless conversations in the past few weeks about, well, what should I do? Well, it really depends on who you are, what you have access to, how old you are. Like, I'm not going to recommend one thing for everybody to do because, you know, are you virus-free? Are you symptomatic? It could change from day to day, person to person. And that's, I think, a lot of people don't understand about herbalism. Like what I was talking about at the beginning with the Western herbalism, like, what we know is like, okay, vitamin, you want a vitamin. Okay, look for nettles because it's nutrient rich and you can just reach for that. But that's something that you could kind of do on a daily basis. Whereas like, are you dealing with fear? Are you dealing with anxiety? Are you actually needing an antiviral? Do you want to just support your immune system? 
Are there things though that you could say like at a high level for someone who is healthy and feels like they're feeling good, they don't have complications, they don't have the virus or a virus that you would say, oh, these are like some good things to have on hand and explore. And I'm also going to assume that you're saying like actually right now in this moment. Yeah. 2020, 2020. San Francisco or another part of the world. The best thing that you can do is go to sleep and go outside. Like taking care of just like the really basic things of staying healthy are paramount for staying healthy, right? Mm -hmm. For being that way. We all know like wash your hands, social distance, all these things. But I think that people forget too that like, okay, we don't actually all have access to herbal medicine. And a lot of the stores are out of what might be the number one or number two things to get. And a lot of those distributors are having trouble even getting those things to the stores. Like there's all these issues around who's being affected and why and the reality of like, you can't just order something right now and have it expected to be there. So sleeping, hydration, right? Drinking enough water, those are just things that keep us healthy. And those are diet and lifestyle things that I work with every single client on. Every single client is stressed out. Every single client isn't drinking enough water. And for both of those reasons, aren't getting a good night's sleep, Mm -hmm. exercise, et cetera. It's just not prioritized in our culture, right? And so part of like, okay, the health department isn't ready for this pandemic, but also we're not ready because we're being pushed mostly by capitalism, to do things that our bodies don't want to do on a daily basis. And so brushing up on that self-care, you know, doing the things you already know how to do, floss, wash your face, go outside, breathe fresh air. I think eating vegetables and also avoiding sugar are probably two things that maybe we don't think of right away as well. But sugar is inflammatory. It's not great for our immune system. And that's something that is also very culturally acceptable. But again, those are like five things that I think everybody should do. And also that I work with people on a daily basis to do. On the sugar front, is there anything that you could recommend for sugar cravings? Like if somebody is used to having a lot of sugar and then they're stopping it all of a sudden. Yeah. And I just want to kind of go back to this whole idea of like, we're talking about this moment. And so really it's about access Mm -hmm. And one of the best places that you can go as far as access is like what's already in your apothecary. And even if you're listening to this and you're like, what's an apothecary? (laughs) I will remind you that most people have spices in their kitchen. And so as far as access goes, that's going to be the most widespread, whether you have it or you could get it easily. And an herb that can help regulate the blood sugar is cinnamon. Mm. So whether you're cooking with cinnamon or you could make like a cinnamon tea you know, add it to your food. Surely there's like cinnamon extracts and capsules and whatever. You don't necessarily need to go out and buy something, but just incorporating that into supporting your body to find a a better balance while you are trying to make some of those shifts. Yeah. You talked about how lack of sleep and having anxiety or stress, like they sort of contribute to each other. And then those are the things that can maybe like wear our immune system down. How much of our immune strength or health do you think has to do with our stress levels? And what are you seeing in your practice today in terms of how that plays into like something else that someone might be coming to work with you for? Yeah. uh, Stress influences every single physical or emotional symptom or spiritual symptom that is going on in the body. I mean, it just makes everything worse. You know, Stefania and I live in San Francisco, which is one of the most intense places to live on the planet right now. We're living in the richest city and the richest country in the world ever. And it comes at a price and it takes a toll. Sometimes people talk about immunity, immune support, and it's like, okay, I never want to get sick. But the reality is like getting sick is part of the body's natural response, right? It's fighting. You have the the surface immunity and the the white blood cells that are your defense. And you're going to try to fight any type of bacteria, fungus, virus that comes in. And so maintaining that as a healthy response is important. But just because you get sick doesn't mean that like you have a bad body or something like Mm -hmm. that. It's part of the process of getting exposure. And then there's the deeper immune system, which we think of as the herbs that we can take for that is like reishi, 
and astragalus. And those are two that I definitely recommend to a lot of people. Also, all medicinal mushrooms. So whether that's incorporating some of the more wild mushrooms like maitake and uh, shiitake and lion's mane into your diet. Some of us are lucky enough to be able to buy those at the farmer's market or through an extract capsule tincture powder. Those are great. But the reality is that if you want to use those to support your body with coronavirus in particular, you probably should have started taking it sometime in December because it takes a while to build up. Mushrooms are really slow and the deep immune system is is rather slower build. So if you are excited about taking mushrooms and you start taking them now, it actually might not be the best choice because deep immune and modulator like reishi or stragulus could potentially drive something deeper if you're active with it. So like if you already have the virus and maybe it's not fully expressed, have it be expressed more? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. And like, I know that leaves a lot of gray area for people who are like, well, what should I do? Yeah. (laughs) I've certainly been taking astragalus this week and uh, reishi and continue to do that. Certainly part of my regiment, my self-care as far as like herbs that I take on a daily or or semi-daily basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on the amount of those adaptogens or herbs that you can take? Like, is there a limit to how much you should mix? Like if you're taking ashwagandha and reishi and magnesium, what is your take on that? Because Kat, you went through a period where you were like, oh my God, I'm taking too many. I need to step back. I just, I was like, this probably isn't because I kind of have that personality where I'll want to try everything. And I'm like, oh, this one's good for your brain. And this one's good for your sleeps. And then I, I heard from someone that it could confuse your body as well if you're taking too many things. So I've just scaled it back a ton and now I only take a couple, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on that as well. Yeah. I hear you. It sounds like you are really excited about herbs and that is (laughs) great. But that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. I used to work at our local herb shop, Scarlet Sage, and, you know, people come in and really excited about herbs and, you know, for good reason, want to try a bunch of stuff. The reality is that, you know, your body can only deal with so much at one time. And to get that in perspective, I think you can think about how Certainly, when we were taking herbs as, you know, ancestral cultures, we weren't taking nutraceuticals. We weren't taking the super critical extract of oregano (laughs) or ashwagandha cooked powder ready in your smoothie, like everywhere you turn. When we were, you know, living off land, when we were co-evolving with plants, we were only really getting plants that we could grow and we could only grow so much. And so we certainly live in a time and a place where people think that we should just take high amounts of of like all sorts of stuff all the time. And I personally believe that plants are like people. So when you spend time with one person, you get to know them pretty well. And if you enjoy that person, you want to spend more time with them and maybe that develops into a deep friendship. But if you spend time with a bunch of people all at once, say you go to a small gathering, a party, a rave, who knows what you want to call it or what it is, but you don't get to know those people in the same way. It's not a deep relationship. And so, you know, you have something like wellness formula, which is a really popular product. And I think that there's certainly a time and a place for it, but I think of that as like a a rave. And I personally work with clients, a maximum of five herbs at a time. It's usually three or four. And then personally, and if you buy something just like from my apothecary, I only make single herb tinctures because I really want people to have a relationship with the plant. And so Mm. something I definitely want to talk about is like how to support the nervous system at this time. I think that is, especially with like the whole isolation factor, the fear, the stress, we need to be able to have those allies. And lucky for us, there's a lot of plants that know how to support us in our, our nervous systems. But it's always different, right? Like, again, going back to the analogy of spending time with somebody, like, 
your best friend isn't everybody's best friend. There's going to be different people and different plants that click with you at different times for different reasons. And so when I'm giving somebody a single herb tincture, what I sell them is get to know it, get to know how much you need to take when you want to take it. You know, I can make a recommendation like 20 minutes before bed or when you expect to experience a stressful situation or something like that. But it's up to you. And it's, I always say like, start with five drops. You can go up from there, but just not to think that taking every single nervine or nerve support herb is going to completely eliminate your stress. Like Mm -hmm. you also have to, going back to some of those life diet and lifestyle choices, like you have to make that decision and you have to make that choice around like how you approach everyday life. And so maybe it's like taking some Tulsi and going for a run. Or maybe it's taking some ashwagandha and trying to get a little extra sleep. Yeah. What are you seeing in your practice today in terms of both, what are people coming to you for most? And like, where are you seeing the biggest transformations? I mean, I think that broadly, the people that come to me are people who are the most disserved by the Western medicine complex, industrial complex. So what that looks like is folks that are coming in with like symptoms that doctors can't explain, like different types of fungal stuff. I think a lot of the fungal stuff is rooted in what I call candida, which a lot of medical doctors don't believe even exists, but a general yeast or fungus overgrowth that I think is also rooted in our gut and rooted in industrial processed foods and the abundance that a lot of us had as children. Would someone even know that they had that or that's something that you discover through working with them? It depends. Yeah. I mean, and I I use the term candida kind of broadly and generally because I think that it's almost like a catch-all term, like PMS, where it's like Mm -hmm. your PMS might be cramps, it might be moodiness, it might whatever, be cravings, but it's all kind of based on this one idea of like you're high in progesterone, low in estrogen, and you're going to start bleeding. And with candida, it's like, okay, a lot of us eat way too many carbohydrates and it's out of balance. So how do we like get ourselves back into that balance? Yeah. Where do you see then people seeing the biggest changes or like seeing the greatest like positive results after? Are there, is there kind of a certain type or path? I'd be interested in, even if you could share one kind of example of before and after. Sure. Well, I'd say kind of like the general trajectory is that people come in because they're physically not well. And I'll just relate that back into coronavirus, right? Like there's a physical issue and this idea that like, okay, we're going to get these symptoms and there's a high death rate. So that's when people really start to freak out and really reach for help, ask for help, look for help. And so I always tell people, I like to remind people that a symptom isn't going to go away overnight, right? Like I said before, like some of the best medicine of the herbs is that they remind us to slow down. And so a lot of times it's about like slowing down your lifestyle, maybe not going to as many workout classes or extracurriculars and to expect something to kind of turn around and shift within about half the time that you've had it. And I'll just use heartbreak as an example. I think a lot of people can relate to that, which is like, let's say you were in a relationship for eight years. Like, you're probably not going to be over that person for four, at least. (laughs) Do people come to you to work through emotional stuff like heartbreak? Yeah, well, so, you know, you get through the like, okay, I have candida or I have some sort of like, let's say, let's just go with that example of like a fungal issue. So then they come for that because maybe they're having like a rash or some sort of physical symptom. And then we start working with antifungal herbs. But this whole time I've like charted somebody and and also tried to tap into maybe what some of the other, like Catherine mentioned, root causes, right? And so as we go and as I get to know somebody, we build intimacy. We start to have deeper and deeper conversations about their life, about their health and their history, where they're at, where they've been. And I kind of see it as this curve of people come in for physical stuff, then they move towards emotional issues that may be like brought up by the work in the physical body and current, but also past. You know, this experience I had last week reminded me of this experience I had when I was four or seven or whatever. And then you 
kind of finish up over in the spiritual realm. So a lot of the people I see for over a year, we start talking about like just managing their spiritual practices, tuning them in, working with herbs on a vibrational level with the flower essences, meditation. So that's really kind of like the trajectory of the work and and the patterns that I see within my clients. One thing I wanted to ask you about that has me thinking about both obviously related to your work in herbalism, but also just, you know, you're very connected energetically and it feels like you kind of read what's going on in a given time is the piece of what's happening now with coronavirus that is about fear and inducing fear, but then like that play, you know, to the other side as well. Like for someone that's kind of just been witnessing and kind of moving through this as well, it's like, it's conflicting because you want to be careful and you want to be safe. You don't want to buy into this hysteria kind of idea of all of it, but there is that fear. And like, there is that, I feel like that in some ways is is being put out there. So I'm just curious from your perspective, like, what do you feel like is going on from that regard? And how would you kind of suggest moving through it? I mean, I think that's really what's on everybody's mind right now is like, you know, we have a lot of the data and the statistics. I do want to mention, there's an article here that brought to my attention recently. It's on Medium. It's called Coronavirus, Why You Must Act Now by Tomas Pueyo. He goes into a lot of statistics around like what happened in China and what happened in South Korea and Italy and some of the measures that governments and different services shut down or provided, that kind of thing. And the reality is that we need to all quarantine. And just saying those words, you know, instills a certain amount of anxiety and fear in myself. And I can only imagine what that sounds like being heard. But there's a big question right now as far as did we wait too long? And even though you and I we're not in the group of people who could die. We could certainly be vectors passing it. You know, it's just there's so much that we need to take action on. And we probably should have taken action last week or the week before. So really limiting contact. And then the reality is of that is isolation, loneliness. So that's where the herbs can come in and supporting us. Again, like I'm going to recommend some herbs, but I think it's like, what do you have access to? Mm -hmm. Do you have a lavender bush that grows near you? Can you harvest that? Do you already keep chamomile in your cupboard, right? Not having to go out and buying something because we want to reduce how many times we leave the house and what we have to do out in the world. So working with what you have, maybe what a trusted friend or neighbor has, I really think that thinking collectively and communally is going to be an important part of stepping into this, what we might see as the new normal or also an altering of life as we know it. So again, some of those nervous system herbs are going to be holy basil or tulsi, which is going to help a little bit of relaxation, but also is classified as an adaptogen. So helping us deal with some of that stress, helping the body emotionally and physically adapt to what's going on around us. If you're experiencing a lot of kind of fear and panic, definitely reaching for a little something a little bit stronger like valerian or calpapi. Those are pretty heavy sedatives that are going to help us really like just take a chill pill. Mm-hmm. And some of us are going to need that. Whereas I prefer passion flower because it works in the musculoskeletal system and it's going to help relieve some of that tension and stress while not being extremely drowsy inducing. So you can take passion flower in the morning and like wake up and drive a car kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Again, some of the more kind of common chamomile, lavender, uh, lemon balm, those might be herbs that people have that grow really well in this bioregion and a lot of different bioregions might even be used as some landscaping plants. Catnip is a personal favorite. I like to say catnip is better than a beer after work. So it just like kind of takes off that edge. I know a lot of people know catnip as like a psychoactive for cats, but it doesn't work like that in humans. It's completely different and actually can help us really relax. And uh, milky oats and St. John's wort, there's certain precautions that we have to take with St. John's wort. If you are on any type of hormones for any reason, you don't want to take St. John's wort. But if you're using it, if you have used it in the past or you enjoy using it as a 
mild like uh, antidepressant. It can be helpful as well as milky oats. Those two herbs really support the nervous system on a physiological level, helping to repair the myelin sheath, which is the outer coating of the nerves, kind of like the plastic on the electrical wires. Mm -hmm. So soothing and repairing that is really important to just help us stay in our bodies, right? So getting in our hearts, rose, meditation, I think too, like kind of what we were talking about with the quarantine and and all that. I want to say, and I don't say this lightly, but there's going to be a certain amount of suffering and grief that we experience in the next few weeks and months. And I, I have mixed feelings about saying that because I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But if I were to recommend something to every single person on this planet, it would be to brush up on your meditation practice because in the Buddhist philosophy, suffering is a part of life. And we're going to really have to work together and find the strength within our community in order to become resilient communities and community members. Yeah. Well, I feel like even just for a lot of us, find community because we talk about this a lot, actually. It's like, even though we're so connected and we can connect with each other so easily through technology, we don't have community. We don't live in community in the way that we once did for all of humanity prior to the past 100 years. One thing that I think is a silver lining a little bit with something like this, and I don't know if it's, you know, inappropriate to call out, but there are some things about this that feel good. And those are people coming together, helping Mm. each other, wanting to give information or, you know, whatever they can. And it's like, why can't we keep that all the time? Like, why is it in the face of crisis that we come together like that? But I think there's hope in that. And that warms my heart to see. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like everyone coming together globally. Yeah. And talking, even just talking about the same thing and just sharing experiences. I do. I agree. Like, it's awful what's happening, but it's nice that everyone is coming together to support. Yeah, I think that historically we've seen a lot of community and coming together through disaster. There's a book that I really appreciate by Rebecca Solnit. She's a local author about, it's called A Paradise Built in Hell. And it's about different times throughout history when people were faced with incredible grief and natural disasters. and how they came through it and out of it. So she looks into the 1906 earthquake here in San Francisco, and there's a story of a policeman going behind a barred-off area using his privilege and his past to, like, get his stove out of his kitchen and haul it into Dolores Park so that people could have food and that it could serve as a camp for people to eat at. I think that it's incredible what is possible when we're living outside of the confines of capitalism, it allows the space of genuine connection and creating a community that we can't create when we have so much pressure and stress on us from our daily lives. And so really thinking about how to foster that, how people can contribute. You know, the one example I often think of is like at Standing Rock, when people were going to create a community support, trying to not have the Dakota Access Pipeline mm. they built, people were coming from all over the country to support that movement. And it was incredible, but it was also in the middle of winter and people, you know, there was a lot of stress and a lot at stake there. And so when you go into that sort of a situation, you offer your best skill, you put your best foot forward. And so for me, I absolutely see myself potentially having some sort of herbal pharmacy if if that is what's needed or trained as a a NERT medic. So the Neighborhood Emergency Response Team is something that came out of the 1989 earthquake in San Francisco. So being able to do triage and crowd control and all those types of things to just support the reality of what people may or may not need in the coming future. But, you know, like what I was saying about Standing Rock is that you give what you can. You give, like, if you're a great cook, you go to the kitchen. And if you are a systems person, you create some sort of workflow and et cetera. So I think it's important for people to to take stock of that and that 
will bring about incredible community connections that will create a world that might be better than we've ever known. I love that. I have a quick question on the herb front. And like, as more and more people are working from home now, is there anything that you can recommend for increased focus? Because I've heard a lot like, oh God, it's so hard to focus when I'm at home. Any herbs that that people can do for that? Totally. I'll say a couple of things. So the first one that comes to mind is rosemary because there's this old saying, rosemary it's for remembrance. Shakespeare wrote that down at least once and is a warming herb. It's an herb that I work really closely with as an ancestral herb from Italy. And it is known to kind of also be kind of an activator. So it's going to help bring something to your brain, i.e. it's mm. increasing blood flow. I also think it's accessible, right? Like it, people use it growing as hedges. I I find it on my walks around the city all the time. And when it is growing, it's abundant. It's usually like a massive bush. So also a great antibacterial. So just keeping the immune system healthy and an herb that you can incorporate into your food. You know, there's other traditional brain herbs. A couple that come to mind are ginkgo and go-to cola. Also lion's mane, we mentioned earlier, but we also talked about how Mushrooms tend to be slower, so that's not necessarily going to be something that you're going to notice right away. But also, I want to go back to this idea of like, we're in a crisis moment, we're in an alternate reality. And so going out and picking up go-to cola or ginkgo or lion's mane, it might not be a realistic thing for you to do. And so thinking like you have to get that or you need something to help your productivity, I think is kind of the wrong road to go down. If you're wanting to work with rosemary and you have access to that, absolutely do it. Again, it might be in your kitchen cupboard. But I I will say too that like this is a time for a mental health break. I think that increasing productivity, expecting us to meet all of the deadlines is unreasonable request that any of us should have on ourselves or our bosses should have on us. I mean, I understand there are certain things that we've been raised with that we understand to uphold the culture and society that we live in, but I'm just going to suggest and offer that that might really change in the next, again, we don't know if it's weeks or months or or forever. You know, it might be a matter of like talking to your coworkers and saying like, hey, I really need to focus on taking care of my family right now. And I, I'm not going to be able to meet those deadlines. I think that this idea of like, oh, well, we can all just telecommute is like really the wrong idea. Certainly telecommuting sometimes for certain things that feel urgent. Absolutely. I know a lot of like therapists are going on to digital platforms and people are talking about schools and, you know, all of that is important and connection is so important. And I think that as far as technology goes, that's what we're really going to need it for. It is like, I'm encouraging people to start a buddy system too, because what we're, you're talking Kat, about all these different focus, but it's also about like how many emails we're getting that are like, all of these services are canceled or here's the latest graph of deaths. And it's like, that is one heck of a lot of things for our human bodies to process. Part of the reason we have so much stress is we have so much access to information and data. And while it's important to help us understand like how, quote, to flatten the curve, right, to reduce the amount of death rates and exposure that were happening, it's too much. So checking in on your friends with the buddy system, how are you doing? reaching out to folks who have a higher viral load, be it if they're HIV positive or, you know, if they have maybe another HPV or HSV virus that they live with, doing what we can to not feel alone, I think is something that I'm concerned about. So yeah, we need to hang together or we'll hang separately as uh, Benjamin Franklin once said. (laughs) Love it. Yeah, I like that. So we're going by our time so fast. Um, I think we've already gone over a little bit. We have one question that we ask all of our guests, and then we'll get, we want to hear more about how to work with you and your book. But our question that we ask all of our guests is what life experience has been your greatest teacher? Totally. And upon reflection, (laughs) I would have to say that absolutely the times I have been the most sick. And some of those times for me have been 
you know, a kid and a teenager living with asthma. So in high school and middle school, I had to like do PE with a fanny pack with my inhalers in it and never felt like I could really take a full breath or be the fastest kid in the class or ride my bike as far as long as I wanted to. I experienced a really terrible infection when I was around 21, where I got staph all over my body. I haven't really ever talked about this publicly, but that was an incredibly difficult time. I was in and out of the hospital on tons of antibiotics, which later created a infection in my gut, which was potentially deadly. And then came out of that I think it took about five or six years for me to actually heal my gut from all those antibiotics. Whether or not it completely healed is still up in the air. That infection actually was started by exposure to poison oak that got infected. And so now I'm incredibly allergic to poison oak. And I've had poison oak several times, including once all over my face. And so those are the three times. And I know they're all kind of gruesome and gnarly, but those are the three times that I was in bed and I couldn't get out of bed or I wasn't able to have my full capacity, that I kind of told myself, like, I hate this. I never want to be here. And there's some people who never get out of that, right? Like, there's some people who live with really difficult illnesses their whole lives. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to have found herbs and to have found modalities of healing that really work for me and have helped me get stronger and allow me to share some of that experience and knowledge But there was a moment last year when I was in my advanced studies at Blue Water and I was sitting in the classroom and I was just looking up at my teachers and I just felt so deeply in my heart that I was so lucky to be there because of what I have experienced and because what of all of the most difficult, painful days of my life. And that could also potentially, you know, you you might include grief, right? The passing of a loved one, the breaking of a heart into that. But yeah, that we're just so lucky to be alive. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. If people want to work with you, how can they find you? Um, I wonder if you do distance sessions. I don't know if you do. And then can you also do a little plug for your book and where people can find that? Yeah, absolutely. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you guys. Ask really great questions. So thank you for hosting and making this space for us to talk. Yeah, my website is my name, bonnieroseweaver.com, and folks can definitely contact me through there. I have booking sessions available on my online calendar, so check that out. My book is currently out of print, but I am in the works of getting it back available. It's at the printers right now, so (laughs) I expect it to be available in the next month or so. But yeah, it's called Deeply Rooted Medicinal Plant Cultivation Tectropolis. And it's about my experience working in the garden, in the mission, and profiles 20 herbs that grow really well in San Francisco. I'm a huge advocate for people growing their own medicine. I think that's one of the best ways to learn, but also ways to get access to affordable and also organic herbs. We don't always know what's happening out there with the organic certification. It's not an international standard. So connecting with the plants, right? Meeting the herbs that you know and love, having that personal experience. That's what I'm all about. So yeah, folks can work with me in the clinic or check out some of my work with, I'm currently working at Alamany Farm, establishing a new herb garden there in the city. So I do do distance uh, work, not, not as common, but I'm open to it using the virtual platforms that we have available. And I'm on Instagram. It's also my name, at Bonnie Rose Weaver. So yeah, definitely reach out, say hi. Great. And we'll link all of that in the episode show notes too. Amazing. Thank you so much. That was a great conversation. Thanks, Stefania and Kat. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or share it with a friend and hit subscribe so you never miss a show.